Uh, good morning again, everybody. Uh, we're in the book of Exodus for the next few weeks, uh, so I encourage you to be reading big slabs of Exodus in your quiet times during the week. Uh, that'll be a tremendous help for Sundays. Uh, there should be a CERN outline uh, handed to you this morning as well. And we're mostly going to be in Exodus chapter 3 this morning, but we'll be working through to... Oh, we'll just do a lazy four chapters. How about that? <laughs> Making ourselves might be something we're uh, cautious about. I'm not talking about going to a party where there are extroverts there and they make themselves known. Within five minutes, everybody knows them. I'm talking about really making ourselves known and opening up and letting people in and letting people know who you are and where you're at in your heart and your mind. Genuinely being open with people and making yourself known. That's something a bit different, isn't it? It's something that uh, some of us are quite guarded with and not without good reason, because we live in a fallen world, and so we're not sure what people are going to do with what we tell them, or how they will react. It can be hard to trust people. But thankfully, God is not. He's not scared of anyone. He's, he's got nothing to be embarrassed about. And the Almighty God, in his graciousness, makes himself known. Uh, so I'm going to pray and I'm going to give thanks for that. And we're going to ask that God does that more and more as we read these chapters. Father God, we do thank you that you are a God that makes yourself known to us. Uh, we thank you that we can sit here this morning with our Bibles open. Uh, we pray that you would speak to us by your Spirit. Show us again and again the glory and wonder that is your Son, Jesus. Lead us in the way of repentance and faith. And we ask this all to your praise and all, and all glory. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so last week we remembered the context of Exodus in Genesis, particularly God's promises to Abraham. Let me read the promises, see if you're familiar. Genesis chapter 12, God said to Abram rather, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And curse, whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And we come to Exodus and we rightly ask, well, has God come through? How's that working out? Because in chapter 1 we saw Israel are not gods, they're Pharaoh's slaves. They're not in Canaan, but they're in Egypt. They're persecuted by Pharaoh, hardly blessed. And the many descendants, well, that's problematic because all the boys are being drowned in the Nile. And in the midst of this conflict, Moses is miraculously born and preserved and raised in chapter 2. Chapter 2, we saw that he's adopted into Pharaoh's household in verse 10. He gets his Egyptian on. In fact, he's so Egyptian, he holds the appearance of an Egyptian in verse 19 as he meets up with his future Midianite wife. But just as the heart of Moses seems to turn towards his people, the Hebrews, well, he's rejected, isn't he? And he's treated like an outsider, not only by the Hebrews, but also by Pharaoh, who now wants to kill him. He's on the hit list. 
And so little wonder we find ourselves at the end of chapter 2, Moses has headed to the desert. He makes like a shepherd. He marries a Midianite. He has children. And his identity crisis is summed up with the words, I'm a foreigner in a foreign land. And I read that and I go, well, that's just a real, oh, how did I get here moment, isn't it? How did I get here? In the desert, Midianite wife, are you kidding me? And what is God doing in this time? Well, chapter 2, verse 23. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. That's Pharaoh. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Notice God doesn't forget things. Uh, it's not that God sort of made his promises and then forgot them and then someone needs to give him a nudge and tell him to wake up. Hey, how about those promises? They're crying out now. Well, when the Bible speaks of God remembering, it just means that he's about to act on those promises. It means that he's now ready to launch and we're meant to shift in our seats, sit up, and take notice. And of course, the temptation here is to ask, well, yeah, for crying out loud, 400 years, are you kidding? What has God been doing? Twiddling his thumbs? And the other expectation might be that now God is going to just rush in, click his fingers, and fix everything, and deliver his people. But no, nah, that's not what he does, is it? And as we reflect on that, well, that's not dissimilar to life today. God knows his people all over the world. He knows the suffering that his people have to endure. But he just doesn't step in and save us from everything with a click of a finger. Jesus Christ hasn't come back yet. There's, there's something more, something bigger going on here. So what's going on? Well, chapter 3, verse 1. Moses is tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb. That's uh, Sinai, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. I bet it was strange. Why the bush doesn't burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now, I reckon you've got a feel for Moses at this point, don't you? This is a God that Moses maybe only ever heard about in ancient accounts as a child. Three to four years. We haven't heard anything from him. All the, and after all these years... Now God's speaking, uh, and of all the people he's chatting to, it's Moses 
out of a bush which is on fire that doesn't burn up. Notice the right response of Moses as he hides his face. He gets that right. And of course, that's an appropriate response to the presence of God. God is holy. Uh, It's a, a helpful corrective to our propensity to domesticate domesticate God into a cuddly pet or a benevolent grandfather or things like that. We are reminded when we come to Exodus that God is fearfully awesome. Fearfully awesome. And what does God say? Well, let's uh, roll down to verse 9. And now the cry of the Israelites have reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Notice God's activity. Notice that he hears, he sees, he knows, and notice his care erupts into action on behalf of his people. And notice, this is going to be the first time God sends anybody or someone. And Moses' response, of course, what does he say? He says, not a chance. He doesn't actually say that. Five times he objects. Uh, The first objection is that he's a nobody. Verse 11, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Fair question, given what we looked at in chapter 2. And God says in verse 12, pretty much, don't worry about that, I will be with you. And we see what God does here. The identity crisis of Moses pales into insignificance beside the identity of the one who speaks to him, the living God. God is saying, my presence is all that matters. Not the ability of Moses, not the identity of Moses. With the Lord present, all is well, all is secure. And so Moses comes back to God, verse 13, basically saying, sure, okay, fine, I hear that, you'll be with me, but seriously, who are you? Who are you? What's your name? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am... Who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, this is a massive moment in the Old Testament. The God of Abraham reveals himself in a very personal way. I am who I am. Um, This might refer to the fact that God doesn't rely on anything or anyone else to define himself. That God is not controlled by anything other than himself. He is not what others might want him to be. God just is. But there's probably another aspect here as well. An equally good translation is, I will be who I will be. In other words, God will be who he shows himself to be. God's own future actions will testify to what he himself is like. The implication is that as God saves Israel from Egypt, he will show them what sort of God he is. And of course, that's not going to happen all at once, is it? It just doesn't happen all at once. 
It's a, it takes time. That's, and that's the way of relationships. That's how relationships work. And being in a true relationship, it means struggle, and it means pain, and it means joy, and it means thanksgiving. It's part of what makes our relationship with our God so personal and so authentic. And so we read the scriptures, we read the unfolding, gradual revelation of God, God engaging with humanity in the world. Which means today, we are in a better position than Moses. Did you know that? I mean, some people go looking for a burning bush. But in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets at many times and in various ways like a burning bush. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. This is how it rolled in the past. But now we have Jesus. That's what the writer of Hebrews tells us. It means that if we have Jesus, a burning bush pales in comparison. And so we are called, well, we're not called to do a Moses and lead slaves out of Egypt. We're called to follow Jesus and embrace him. This Jesus, who is the very revelation of God himself. Do you see it? Moses gets a revelation of God in a burning bush. We get the revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. The true I am. The God with skin on. The light of the world. The Word. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So Moses, if he was here today, he might say, you know, Compared to his experience, ours right now is nothing short of extraordinary. Even if you don't feel it. Sitting together in church, reading the Spirit-inspired Word, fellowshipping with the God who has revealed himself to us in Jesus, uh, and fellowshipping with one another with our Bibles open. Now, where else would you be? And just as Moses will never be the same on account of this revelation of God, our lives are not untouched as we open up God's word together, as we share God's word together. But you know, the, the Israelites, they're going to need convincing. So they're going to need convincing. So who is he? Verse 15 we come to. Here's another protest. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your father, um, fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done in Egypt. And I promise to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt 
into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. You see what God is saying to Moses and to, and to Israel? He's saying, I'm not a new God, a new God on the scene here. I am the covenant-making God. I'm promising, uh, I'm a promise-keeping God of Abraham. And even though Pharaoh is the anti-God, even though Moses is a reluctant nobody, if you like, God is going to get things done. But Moses' resistance continues. In chapter 4, he will say things like, but if I tell this to the people, they're not going to believe me, verse 1. But God counters that with some miraculous signs. And then Moses says in verse 10, but I've never been a good speaker. I'm not articulate. And then his greatest argument of all is verse 13. God, just please send somebody else. He finally gets to the point. And finally, Moses' true colours are revealed. He just doesn't want to come at it. Which ultimately means that he doesn't trust God. And a lack of trust is always displayed in obstinate disobedience and fear. It's a sin as old as Adam. No, God, I don't trust that you know what's good for me. I don't trust that you know what's good for, my, for the people of Israel. And of course, Moses isn't alone in that department, is he? <laughs> and at this point, we think, wow, oh, to be more like the Hebrew midwives in chapter 1, who, who actually did fear God rather than Pharaoh. They didn't get things upside down. So in chapter 5, Moses finally goes. He goes to Pharaoh, he takes Aaron with him, and of course... Only for things to get worse. Chapter 5, read it sometime today. Have lunch. Open your Bible. It'll be worth your time. But when you read it, you'll see there that basically, as predicted, Pharaoh says, no, not not a chance. And then he says, who is this God anyway? And Pharaoh, who's been told about this God, reasserts himself as God and punishes Israel from... Uh, with heavy labour. That's what you do when you're presented with another God. You just flex your muscles. Uh, Israel, of course, don't like that. So you know what they do? What they call the union. (laughs) And the outcome, of course, is Pharaoh says, work harder. So a fat lot of good that did. And then the union complains to Moses. And then Moses complains to God. That's the way it reads. And with all the strife and bitterness, and anger and frustration and complaining and brutal treatment of God's people, with everyone resisting God, everyone is asking God, man, what gives? Like, who is this God anyway? Things are actually worse now. How did we get here? They're like Moses in the wilderness. How did we get here? And in keeping with his word, we then say, well, maybe now God will save them. And the answer, of course, is no. That's not what happens. Not now, because now is the time for more revelation. Now is the time for God to repeat his promises. Because what he wants more than anything else is for his people to know God. And so have a look at chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. 
Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, and here he comes again, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, uh, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard of the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I'll bring you out of the, uh, from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I'll free you from being slaves to them. I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I'll take you as my own people. I'll be your God. And then you'll know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I'll bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I'll give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Do you see what uh, God's response to the events of chapter 5 and chapter 1 with that infanticide is to repeat his promises. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. We almost know that off by heart now. Keep saying it. To tell his people that he is the Lord and that he is faithful and that he will keep his promises. Because if we stand in the shoes of the Hebrew people at the time God could have saved them in an instant, he could have destroyed Pharaoh and Egypt in a flash He could have brought his people out in an instant, but instead, for six chapters, he gives them his promises. And he reminds them that he is faithful. Which tells us there's something more going on here than just getting the Hebrews out of a pickle. It's that they would know God. God wants them to know him. God wants them to know that he is faithful. And so he repeats his promises to them time and time again. In these chapters, we keep seeing the the harsh, brutal treatment of the Hebrew people. We see that. And we wait for God to do something. But also we keep being reminded of God not saving them yet. But instead, he keeps Speaking his promises to them. He keeps wrestling with Moses. He keeps making himself known as a faithful God. He will save them, and we'll see that next week. But for now, more important thing is that his people will know him as their faithful God. And that's the same for us today, for you and me. We wait for Christ's return, we wait for that final salvation. And in the meantime, as we navigate life in this cursed, broken world, we have to remember that God is faithful. These Hebrews in chapter 6, all they could do was to look forward and to hope that God would be faithful. But we, though, we get to look back and we get to know God is faithful. We get to come to the table and go, thank you, God, you are faithful to us. And it's not that he did save the Israelites because we read Exodus before. We look back, we know that God promised to send not just a saviour of the Hebrews, 
but a saviour of the world. And Jesus is already come. We know that God has promised to save people, not just from a hostile nation, but from sin and death itself. And Jesus Christ did that. God promised to save us from our guilt and our shame. And Jesus Christ has died. God promised that he would bring us, bring for his people eternal life. That he would bring us forever new life in an unspoiled new creation. And Jesus Christ has secured it already in his resurrection from the dead. All of God's grand promises find their yes in Christ. We look back to the cross and we remember God is faithful. So when we find ourselves surrounded by trouble and distress, the encouragement of these chapters is, yeah, to cry out to God, but also to know God and to remember his promises and to remember that he is faithful. Your circumstances, you might think your circumstances suggest there is no God, that God has abandoned you, but these chapters tell you, no, it's the opposite. God is here. He is present. He knows our pain and suffering. And so he calls us to know him, to remember that he is faithful. It could be any number of struggles we are dealing with. It might be poor health. It might be trouble of being sick. You've been stuck with it for a long time. It might be uh, eating alone at the dinner table. Maybe there's strife in your family and you have no idea how it's going to be resolved or how it will play out. Maybe you are concerned for loved ones and you have no idea how it's going to be resolved. Their spiritual well-being or their physical well-being, are they going to make it? Might be a relationship breakdown that never seems to heal. It could be the struggle of loss or losing loved ones. Maybe they're losing their memory. They're just not the same anymore. Maybe it's the struggle of your own personal sin and the struggles you have in trying to live a life for God. Maybe it's mental health issues. And this world at times feels like an impossible place to live. And you can look at all, all of it, and wonder, where is God in all of this? How did I get here? And of course the answer, brothers and sisters, is to know your God. Know that he is present. Know that he is faithful. That in Christ, God is has been faithful in Christ, God is faithful and he will be faithful. As surely as day follows night, Jesus, his son, will return. God has promised that Jesus is coming and he will. And so we wait and we look forward to our great day of salvation. As we do that, we are to know our God. Know that he is faithful. Know he will save. Know he will keep his promises. And as we get to know him, we'll see that he gives us every reason to trust him, every reason to honour him, to love him, obey him and serve him. Amen.